Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. Listen, whether it's your first time or you're planning to revisit all your favorites, follow the Bill Simmons podcast, the interviews on Spotify right now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a... Friday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Zestremski. Hope everybody had an outstanding week, ready for the weekend. And I think a whole lot of Knickerbocker fans are ready for the idea of Donovan Mitchell. And that has been the big storyline around town over the last 24 to 48 hours. No shock, no surprise that the Utah Jazz now doing an about face. When you think about where they're at as an organization, Makes no sense the idea of keeping Mitchell, accumulating all these draft picks, and basically blowing it up, redoing it all again. Not going to work. Not going to happen. So you knew at some point in time Donovan Mitchell was going to get traded. And look, the fit from a Knicks perspective is there. Dad works for the Mets. Rick Pitino's in town. Coach and Iona, that's his college coach who absolutely adores him. He wants New York City. He wants the bright lights of Madison Square Garden. How many guys shy away from the magnitude of the stage? Mitchell is a guy who wants to embrace the stage. I understand his defensive shortcomings. We talked about that with Justin Termini last week. I understand that he did not have a good look last year in the first round against Jalen Brunson and against the Dallas Mavericks. But this is a guy who is a difference-making offensive player, and there aren't that many of those guys across the NBA. So 
I want Mitchell. Let me make that perfectly clear. I've said it for weeks. I've said it for months. I want Mitchell. But I want Mitchell under one condition. And I don't know if that condition can be met, if it's feasible, if it's reasonable. I don't know. I am not trading R.J. Barrett. I can't do it for a couple of different reasons. It's not just the idea that Barrett is an emerging young player who's gotten better and better and better in his first three years in the league. It's not only the fact that the Knicks took him with the number one overall, so number one pick, third overall in the Zion John Morant draft a couple of years ago. It's not even that. It's the idea of Barrett being a two-way type of player that this team needs. And I don't think you're gaining a whole lot by going and trading Barrett and bringing in Mitchell. I don't think it changes the look, the feel, the vibe of the New York Knickerbockers that drastically. Adding Mitchell, giving up whatever draft picks you got to give up, you got a ton. I think a lot of them are going to be outside the lottery, don't care, would do it, wouldn't think twice about it. Toppin wouldn't think twice. Grimes wouldn't think twice. Quickly, as much as I like him, wouldn't think twice. The only thing that's getting in the way of me making a Donovan Mitchell trade is the idea of giving up R.J. Barrett. That is where Leon Rose and the Knicks got to draw their line in the sand and say, guess what? This cannot be. This cannot happen. Therefore, no deal if R.J. Barrett is involved. The good news is, over the last 24 or so hours, it sure seems like the Knicks feel the exact same way that I do. and. I think Miami has this sight set on Kevin Durant. I don't know if Kevin Durant's going to be moved from the Brooklyn Nets at this point. Who the hell knows? It's been zero dark 30 as far as that goes. And the odds indicate that at least for now, the favorites to go and land Donovan Mitchell would be the New York Knickerbockers. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. My only rule, and it's a simple one, do not trade RJ Barrett. Now, we're going to have Mike Vaccaro on in a little bit, who is the outstanding columnist from the New York Post. Well, I love, and I usually agree with him all the time. Mike is willing to say the hell with that. I would even trade Barrett if I can go and get Mitchell. We'll have to debate that. He's coming up in the pod in a little bit. But even his tune has kind of changed a little bit with the news that's out there. Because the news that's out there is that the Knicks can pull this off without giving up Barrett. And if they do, I am then officially fired up about where the organization is headed. Because Barrett, Mitchell, Brunson, I'm excited about that. I don't think it's necessarily a championship contender, but you're on the road to legitimate viability. That's something you haven't been able to say from a Knicks perspective for a long, long time. So you got to monitor what's going on here with Donovan Mitchell. I feel like this is going to be a summer quest. If that Mitchell Robinson Begley report is true, this might go into November and December. So buckle up. We're going to be hearing that name a lot. We've heard it a lot already. Going to hear it a lot more over the next few days and the next few weeks. Now, Little baseball. Bad week for the Yankees. Let's call it like it is. They lose two out of three to a bad Cincinnati Red team. Holmes has the meltdown on Tuesday. The Yankees very fortunate to win on Wednesday. And this game was basically a tale of two games. For the first seven innings, it was about the masterful pitching of Nestor Cortez and Luis Castillo. And my goodness, if that was an audition, for Luis Castillo coming to the New York Yankees, I think a whole lot of Yankee fans are probably salivating over the idea 
of Louis Castillo being a Yankee. And yes, you make the call. Yes, that is somebody I'm thinking long and hard about. With Severino on the IL, with Jamison Tyon really tailing off, the Yankees should be in the market for another starting pitcher and not a back-end starting pitcher, a guy who can make a legitimate difference. Somebody like Castillo is out there and available. You have to be involved if you're Brian Cashman. So for seven innings, the Yankees couldn't touch Castillo. They basically get no hit. And it looks like going to be a two-to-one type game. Well, eighth inning happens. Wiseman comes back and it's not particularly good. The Yankees fall behind by three. Judge homers, Glaber two-run homer. And you're like, all right, the Yankees are going to find a way to win this game. Mayu doesn't come through in the ninth inning. Litke, I don't know why they went to Litke over Miguel Castro with all the righties coming up, but he stinks it up for the first time in a while. And even in the bottom half of the inning, I thought the Yankees might come back and win the game. Carpenter, I thought, might, you know, get him going. Hits a two-run homer. They have a chance late with LeMayu. Hits one right on the screws. Flies out to center field. And the Yankees now lose two out of three. And look, they've not been great over the last week. I mean, what did you expect? The Yankees were not seriously going to challenge 116 wins with the Seattle Mariners. Like, sooner or later, this is going to be a team that hit a little bit of regression. And I think it's pretty clear that they are in dire need of the All-Star break. Reset things. Get everything back to where it needs to be. Give Severino a little extra time. Get a reinforcement or two. Interestingly enough, with the reinforcements, this whole Kansas City unvaccinated thing, and listen, I'm not going to go into whole vaccine rants and this and that. Yes. Should they get the shot? Yes. Do I think they should be playing in Canada regardless? Yes. Like, uh, I, I don't even want to go there. Who the hell cares? Honestly, I'm over it at this point. But when it comes to Benintendi, Heyman puts out a tweet earlier today that, oh, the Yankees wouldn't be in on Benintendi or they wouldn't be in on Michael Taylor because they're unvaccinated. For me, I, I would disregard that, quite frankly. Because it's only going to be three games in Toronto that I'm worried about. And if I'm the Yankees, hey, if I can get Benintendi on a discount, boom, I don't have him against the Blue Jays. All right, it's going to be two games maybe. Or maybe I convince him to get the shot. Who the hell knows? But I wouldn't let that get in the way. Seems like the Yankees might. I, for one, would not let that get in the way. So the Yankees now will welcome the Red Sox to Yankee Stadium. And think about this. The Red Sox, after building momentum, big Saturday win against the Yankees, Big Sunday win against the Yankees. Come from behind fashion in both games. The Red Sox have not won a game since. They lose four straight games to the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Red Sox are 15 and a half games behind the Yankees. Now, they're going to have the big pitchers going in this series. They will have Valdi back. He's going on Friday. Chris Sale is back. He's going on Sunday. I mean, if the Red Sox can't take two out of three from the Yankees, now, with the way the Yankees stand, with Tyon going in this series, with the Yankees a little off their game, little off their mark, then the Red Sox are not going to be able to beat the Yankees at all, as far as I'm concerned. This is a ready-made-to-order weekend, I believe, for the Boston Red Sox. And we'll see if the Yankees can snap out of what has been a little bit of a funk for them over the last six or seven games. You can't say enough good things about the Mets. The Mets, without McNeil, without Marte, without McCann, going to Atlanta and making the statement that they did winning two out of three games, holy smokes, what a job. What a job. And Scherzer set the tone on Monday night. Fabulous. Goes deep into the game. Competes his tail off. Feeds off the emotion. You could tell he is embracing the idea of pitching and then performing in these type of big games. You'll love it. Peterson's great Tuesday. Made one mistake to Olsen. You end up losing the game. But they were not set up on Wednesday. Bassett against Morton. Their lineup 
looked weak going into the series. They pound Charlie Morton. Escobar homers. Lindor, we've given him a lot of shit on this podcast. That was a big three-run homer for Frankie Lindor. He knew it as soon as he hit it. Kind of homers. The lineup is basically pounded Charlie Morton. Bassett is great. They take two or three from the Braves. And considering that the Mets weren't at full strength, that the Braves were hotter than anybody, to go down there and play the way that they did, it's a statement. Hey, guess what? Atlanta, we know you're good. We know you're coming, but we're still here. And this is our division now. It was your time last year. It's been your time over the last couple of years, but it's our time right here and right now. That's money stuff from the mess. And you had to worry about today, let down. They're playing a crap Cubs team. The Cubs are going to be trading everybody and their mother. They're not a good team anyway. It's a lesson. When you have a team that has a window, you capitalize. The Cubs got their one, 100 plus years, no complaining. But that group with Rizzo and Brian and Baez, you thought they'd win a lot more than one. After 2016, you thought they'd win a lot more than one. But anyway, no letdown for the Mets. Carrasco, brilliant. The Met lineup, three in the second inning. Windor getting involved. Alonzo Nimmo getting involved. And this game was over. I mean, the most noteworthy mention of anything that went on with this game is Steve Gelbs basically stacking beer cups uh, with the fans at Wrigley Field as the Mets are just kicking the living daylights out of the Cubs. Now they get their old buddy, their old pal, Stroman, tomorrow. I mean, uh, Stroman. You want to talk about addition by subtraction with Stroman and Syndergaard? Stroman pitching to a 4-9-1 ERA. And if I'm the Mets, I got this game circled by my calendar. Afternoon game. Fully expect the Mets to get fat against the Bay Cub team. Go and take three out of four in this series. Why should you expect anything less? Have that momentum going into the All-Star break, knowing that the Atlanta Braves are taking on a bad Washington national team. And know this, I like the Mets to win this division. The Grom is on the horizon, maybe as soon as the Subway Series. Could you imagine if I got Jake going up against the Yankees when I'm at the Subway Series with our guy, with our guy Anthony Makes and with my guy Stefan? We'll have a Tuesday night out at City Field. And it's like the Grom and Cole. Sign me up for that right now, please. Please. That's an event. The Atlanta Braves are going to be a force to be reckoned with and a force that you're going to have to deal with. But the Mets, getting guys back and a couple of bullpen arms and end the Grom, I still like their chances to win the National League East. And all in all, you think about this first half, even with the Yankees having a bad week, 62-27, and 56-34 and 34 for the Mets. I think we all would have signed on the dotted line for 62-27 and 27 and 56-34. and 34. Just a little food for thought. We got a loaded show. The great Mike Vaccaro, who's the best columnist in town, he wants Donovan Mitchell, but he's willing to give up R.J. Barrett. I think that's a little too costly. We'll talk some hoops, and of course, we'll set the stage for what's going on this weekend with the baseball. Mike Vack going to join us. Voicemail's coming up, and I didn't forget about those Met killers. I gave you the Yankee killers the other day. Thought long and hard about the top five Met killers, so we'll unveil that list when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. 
So fired up to welcome in one of the best columnists in town. He wrote a brilliant piece on Donovan Mitchell. I want Donovan Mitchell, but we disagree because he's willing to give up R.J. Barrett. Eh, I'm not willing to go that far. Mike Vaccaro, check him out all the time in the New York Post. Pleasure to have you back, Mike. How are we doing, man? Good to be here, JJ. How are you doing? Mike, I'm doing fine. Let's start with your outstanding column from a couple of days ago. Um, Let's start here. Gut feel. It's middle of July. A lot can happen between now and the start of the NBA season. Do we think Donovan Mitchell will end up a New York Nick? I do. I think it'll happen. Um, it, it, it depends on, look, I mean, uh, it's a high-stakes game of poker between Danny Ainge and Leon Rose. Uh, Danny Ainge has been here before, and he's been successful doing this before, let's not forget. Um, and, and Leon Rose, is really, it's really a very important time in his tenure because, you know, starting his third year, he's got to, He's got to show that the needle is moving in the right direction. And adding a player like Donovan uh, Mitchell to me adds, you know, pu- puts the Knicks in the, in the right direction. Now, you know, I know that we talked about the R.J. Barrett part of it. I've seen things in the last couple of days where that might not be necessary. And it's funny because I knew he'd become a popular Nick, probably the most popular Nick. I didn't realize the fans were going to be willing to like lay down in front of his car and then take him to the airport. Um, but I understand because. I think the, the interesting thing about about about, uh, about RJ is that he could have a, a limited ceiling. I mean, we've seen him improve, you know, forty percent three straight years to become a move from a good player to a very good player to on the borderline of being an all star. Now, where is that upside going? Is he at his ceiling? Does he have more to reach the ceiling? And I think that's what you have to ask yourself if you're Leon Rose if you want to include him in the deal or not. Because uh, the last thing you want to see is him to blossom into a pretty all star in, in Salt Lake City. I understand that. Look, the reason I was so against the idea of moving Barrett, Mike, is I think about a Brunson-Mitchell backcourt. And as fun as that would be offensively, I think it would be an out-and-out nightmare defensively. And RJ is just such a badass on D. And you mentioned the idea that he gets better and better and better with each passing year. I don't know if it's fair to say he's got like a Middleton-like game to him because Chris Middleton has turned out to be you know, an outstanding player and was the number two on a championship team just two years ago. But that's the sort of promise I see with Barrett. And I think if you can get somehow, some way, a three-headed monster of Barrett, Mitchell, and Brunson, Mike, I don't know if it's championship good, but for the first time in a long time, the Knicks are going to be a perennial contender in the Eastern Conference. And that's, to me, something to build on and something they've not had for a long, long time. And what you need to establish is something here that might attract the attention of somebody else who might want to come here. And uh, look, I agree with you. And I, I look, ideally, RJ doesn't go anywhere. Um, I'm just talking about what it might take to bring him here and the, the thought that he might have to be part of it because he's their strongest asset. But look, they also have all those draft picks. And I realize that a lot of people love draft picks. They think the draft picks are more valuable than players sometimes. But the reason you have all those draft picks is to be able to make a move when you want to make a move. And what's, when, you know, what seems to be pretty evident now is that when Danny Ainge covets more than anything is picks in the future. You already got a boatload of picks from Minnesota in dealing off Gobert. You know, if this is, you know, truly something that he's committed to, maybe you will be able to get by with a couple of picks and other players. Um, I, I, I just felt like I, feel like, like I needed to warn Knicks fans that RJ might be in play. And that seemed to cause a bunch of panic. And I get it because, our, look, no one has, has written more 
one of the things about RJ that me, I love watching him play. But I also know that this Knicks roster, the way it is right now, is destined for a string of 37 to 44 win teams. And that's hell in the NBA, Mike. You nailed it. That is NBA purgatory if you're between 36 and 43 wins. That's a hamstring rule because, I mean, you're not bad enough to get a a premium lottery pick and you're not good enough to contend. So uh, you have to make a move in one direction. I, you know, I, I hate tanking, so I don't, I, I don't consider that even an option. So to me, what you got to be doing for the Knicks is get better players. And look, Donovan Mitchell is a, is, is a, is a three-time All-Star. He's a great player. And it intrigues me to no end what it would mean to have him and Brunson in the same backcourt. Would you have any fear, Leon Rose, Danny Ainge, that just screams mismatch, right? Like the idea that Danny Ainge has been around the block. He's made a zillion of these moves. I'm all for the idea of getting Donovan Mitchell. And if it means anybody not named R.J. Barrett, Mike, we're in agreement. If that means picks, so be it. If that means Obi Toppin or Emmanuel quickly, so be it. Because I do think he's got like the idea of I'm going to embrace New York. I want to be here. I'm not going to be afraid to take on the challenge. I think that's all important. And I think there are little attributes that at times get unnoticed by folks who are not here and they don't get it and they don't understand. But any fear factor of the idea of Ainge and Rose making a trade? I mean, how can you not? Danny Ainge already built one championship team out of the dust. I mean, don't forget the Celtics were a 60-loss team one year, and they won the championship the next. And that was because Danny Ainge fleeced his old pal, Kevin McHale. Um, and, he, and, he, and he, you know, tore that down and built, before he left Boston, another team that wound up, you know, inches away from a championship this year. So he clearly has track record on his side. And, you know, at, at some point, Leon Rose, got, Leon Rose has to make his bones, you know, to borrow a term from the Godfather. And, you know, you have to, you, you have to you know, step up, pull the trigger, and make do with the assets you have. Because, you know, he doesn't have a lifetime contract. You know, he had a wonderful 42 and 32 season his first year, hired the right coach, you know, got a career year out of, uh, out of Julius Randle. Um, and then last year, as, as, as feel good as that first year was, last year was the exact opposite. And you need to halt that momentum and go back in the other direction in year three. And I think, you know, he has to do something. He hasn't done anything. Look, he's, he brought in Brunson. So, man, I can't say he hasn't done anything. But he's, he's moved incrementally so far. And I still think that he has to move the needle more to show that there's genuine progress in year three. Mike, we've spent a lot of time over the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Maybe it's longer than that in this town talking about a lot of losing teams and a lot of irrelevant teams and a lot of boring teams, quite frankly, isn't it nice having, and maybe this season from a Yankee perspective in the regular season, ain't going to have a whole lot of sizzle and juice because they're up by 14 or 15 games. But the idea that you have the Yankees and the Mets playing as well as they are playing with the stars that are on both of these rosters, these subway series games that are coming up right after the all-star break, I think are going to be a ton of fun. Uh, a far cry from the Jets and the Giants going like five and twelve and four and thirteen. Just saying. Absolutely, and you know this is a baseball town, and it's so it's hard. We love basketball. You know when the football teams are going well, we're gonna we're gonna get behind. You know with two to one, we happen to support. Uh, but it's a baseball town. It's been a baseball town for 120 years, um, and, and the fact is that they that you know the, the Mets and Yankees now shared New York City. This is this is year 61 that they're sharing New York City. And they've never had teams that were this good. I know in 85, they were both you know, in pennant races at the very end. Obviously, they made the playoffs together in a couple of years. 06 is really the year that kind of 
you know, was, was, was really probably the best dual year because they both won 97 games and the playoffs has ended poorly for both of those teams. But this year is different. Look, the Yankees are, the, the, the Yankees are, are, are in such a perfect position, you know, two ways. One, they obviously have a huge lead in the division. They're not going to lose that lead. They're not going to be the 78 Red Sox. But one thing, the four teams below them in the division, now that the Orioles are a legitimate team, are going to knock each other off. So, I mean, they're, 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 no one's going to, no one's going to build the kind of momentum that is even going to threaten them. But at the same time, you know, the, the Astros over in the West are only four and a half games behind entering play today for best overall record. And let's be very honest, it's, it's very possible that the most important part of this regular season is making sure that you get game seven of the ALCS at home. And so that's going to mean, that's going to mean they're going to have to be sharp. They're going to have to keep playing on through the tape because they're going to have to hold off the Astros because in their big picture agenda, they want to make the World Series. And the likeliest way you're going to have to win the World Series is by beating the Astros. You prefer to have Game 6 and Game 7 of an ALCS at Yankee Stadium. Totally agree. I think if they're beating the Astros, they got to have that home game. Game 6, Game 7, they've played terribly down in Houston, as we know. They'll have Houston right after the All-Star break in the doubleheader. And Mike, listen, I was very critical of the GM. I was very critical of the manager after last year. I thought, you know, they should have made a change from a managerial perspective. So far, Aaron Boone has proved me wrong. This Yankee brass has proven me wrong. I give Cashman credit for realizing, hey, it wasn't working. We got to get more athletic. We got to keep and value a guy like Rizzo. We got to make a change with Gary Sanchez behind the plate. All those moves, absolutely brilliant from a Yankee perspective. But I think they got to put all their chips in the middle of the table come July. I don't know if it's for a starting pitcher. I don't know if that's Castillo, who's pitching later tonight. I don't know if that's Montez. I don't know if that's somebody that we don't know about at this point that could come available over the next two weeks. Do you feel that all-in move? You think about teams that have won. The Cubs did it a few years ago with Chapman. They gave up Gleyber Torres. Um, they gave up other prospects the following year. It wasn't pretty, but I almost feel the Yankees, because of how many times they've been knocking at the door, if that all-in move is there, and who knows if it will be, you got to consider it, right? Yeah, I agree because, I mean, look, even at the beginning of the season, I'm not sure if you gave Brian Cashman truth serum that he would have you know, been able to predict that his team would be at 116-win pace going into July. You know, I think he probably thought that he had done enough to make them, you know, a first-place team. But once you get to a place where, you know, now, you know, even if the Yankees cool off, and they've started to cool off a little bit, say they win 108, 109 games, that's still a team that ought to be in the World Series. And so I think you have to honor that and honor that season and honor what you've done to get to that point by giving them the best possible chance to win the pennant, be competitive in the World Series, win the World Series. And the only way to do that is to make sure you make the kind of moves at the training deadline that are going to get you over the top. I mean, look, I, I get it. I mean, everybody would love to be able to build a dynasty, but the way sports are now, especially baseball, how volatile it is, how fleeting it is, you got to seize the moment because these things don't last forever. I mean, the Mets have learned that lesson time and again. Hey, Mike, look at the Cubs. Didn't we think after 16, the Cubs are going to be really good for a long period of time? They didn't get to another World Series. They won World Series. They were lucky to win that one. So, um, in a lot of ways, those Cubs are going to be remembered, I think, the way the 80s Mets were, and that they were lucky to win the World Series they won. But thank God they did, because if not, that window closed farther, quicker than anybody could have guessed. So, windows close so much quicker now in professional sports. Baseball especially, where, I mean, just it's, it's, a, it's a transient game. And there's no guarantee that even if you have a substantial amount of these players on next year's team, they're going to play this well. You have to try and, you know, take advantage of the moment. And this is the Yankees' moment. 
you know, they're going to be a 108, 110, 111 win team. And you have to be able to parlay that because the last thing you want to be known as is the, uh, is the Owen Mariners. You win 160 regular season games and don't even get to the World Series. Would you say this is going to be the most anticipated Subway Series regular season wise that we've had in, I don't know, 15, 20 years? I think for sure. Look, I think the very first one was probably more so. Uh, Dave Maliki. How could I forget? And only because it never happened before. And, and, and to see those two teams play a game that counted, play a series that counted. And, and really, both both fan bases got what they wanted. The Mets got the feel-good first game win. The Yankees won the series. So it was a perfect, you know, lid lifter to the whole Subway Series. Obviously, you know, 2000, the World Series, you know, you kind of put that in a different category because of the World Series. I guess the only two, the only two seasons that I would say come close are 2000, because not only were both teams terrific and good enough certainly to make the World Series that year, but you had in the, you know, the middle of that, you had that day-night doubleheader where you know, Doc Gooden uh, beat the Mets at Shea Stadium, and then later on, Piazza, Piazza got beat by Clemens. That was one of the more epic days in the history of, of New York baseball, and both teams were on the, on the field together. In 06, I mean, you know, I think people forget how good those teams were in 06 because the Yankees flamed out terribly against the Tigers and the Mets were very disappointing against the Cardinals and everybody's going to remember the Adam Rainwright uh, 0-2 curveball at infinitum. But, you know, that was, that was, that was also a terrific uh, year. Both teams are playing well and when they played each other, they played great. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 think, I think this probably surpasses uh, both 2000 and 2006. You know, maybe comes in second behind 97 only because that was the first, that was the only time you know, that was the first time you're only going to the only time you're going to have a first time. And so these two teams are playing so well. And I think they relish the notion of playing each other because both teams are so professional in understanding that what they have to do is take care of business today. Don't worry about who you've beaten. Don't worry about the winning streak or the losing streak you're on. Win today. Both teams have that mindset. When you have two teams with that mindset who play each other, you're going to get a great game. And then you add into the add into it everything about the Subway Series. And everything that goes on in the stands and everything, all you know, all, all, all the color and pageantry. I can't wait. Will you have any interest in the Jeter documentary? I've seen the first five episodes. I, you know me. I'm a child of the 1990s. Those were my teams, like the O'Neill, Bernie, Tino Martinez, Derek Jeter-led New York Yankees. You were covering it. You were there. You saw some of the moments of greatness. You saw some of the moments of futility, including 2004. Uh, is it going to catch your eye over the next couple of weeks? Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I love that stuff. And look, I mean, I, I, I love covering those Yankees teams. I love covering Jeter. You know, I mean, when, when, when he's really the first guy I can say that I saw, you know, every moment of his career and covered every moment of his career from rookie to last year. And so from that standpoint, I've, you know, I've, I've probably written probably 5 million words about Derek Jeter in my career. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very, uh, very excited to, to watch that. Very interesting. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be, I'm going to love it. You know, I was, I was skeptical about watching that Bulls documentary, and I wish it lasted 10 episodes longer. Oh, and it was during peak pandemic time. Like, we needed it. There was nothing else going on. Now, now it would have been nice if they would have recognized the 92 Knicks for giving the, you know, throwing a scare into the Bulls. They kind of, you know, soft shoot around that. But what are you going to do? It wasn't about the Knicks. Um, you know, I, I, I loved uh you know, the, the, the story about the, the, the 30 for 30 on the, on, the, on the 86 Mets, even though there's been so much written and done about the 86 Mets, you wonder how much can I learn? And yet I, I was there for every second of that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll watch every minute of, of the Jeter uh, documentary for the same reason. 
Final one, Mike. I was inspired last week at Fenway after Devers was eating Garrett Cole's lunch. And I was thinking in my head, all right, my lifetime, the top Yankee killers. And today I'm doing the top Met killers. Yankee killer number one. As, as much as Ortiz, as, as much as Altuve and Edgar Martinez and a bunch of these guys has tormented me, it's got to be Ortiz. 2004, face of the Red Sox. Two walk-offs in that series. From a Mets perspective, number one since, I don't know, 96, let's say. You lean Chipper Jones or is it Derek Jeter? I'm going to have to say Derek Jeter only because like, he had a signature home run in the turning point game of the, of the World Series. I mean, if, if Jeter doesn't leave that game off with a home run, the Mets have all the momentum in the world after winning game three. And, you know, right away, Jeter hits a home run and that entire stadium just changed, you know, at least the Mets portion did. Um, and so I, you know, so, and I get it, you know, Chipper's numbers against the Mets are otherworldly. He named his kid after Shea Stadium, which is a great, which, which was, I think is great. He was a great player. Um, but, you know, it's just because of the circumstance. Look, I mean, it's, it's unique in New York. We do have the Mets and the Yankees, and they do matter to each other. We, I know the players try and downplay it sometimes, and sometimes the fans do. But let's face it, I mean, it's, there's nothing cooler than the Mets and the Yankees when they're both good, and you can have these old-school arguments about who's better. And, you know, and, it's, and it's not just, you know, theoretical anymore. You know, when, when our fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers were arguing the, you know, the Yankees against the Dodgers, I mean, they had to actually win the World Series before you could make that argument. You know, we see every year who the better team is, at least when they play each other. And so as a result, Jeter is, I think, kind of in the forefront of a lot of Mets fans' minds because, you know, for a lot of reasons. You had some envy about that over the years and jealousy, but also you wanted to beat him. And in a moment when, you know, you had the opportunity to beat the Yankees, he's the one who stepped up and said, not going to happen. And so to me, at least, you know, my answer is Jeter, although I know there's obviously a strong case for Chipper Jones. And John Birdie, too. <laughs> Can't forget about him. Uh, can't forget about the uh, the Jesse Winkers of the world, too. Jesse I Wink. mean, a little, it's little more modern. Like that, right? yeah, uh, thankfully, he's in Seattle now, so the Met fan don't have to see him all too exactly. often. Listen, thanks so much for doing this. Keep up the great work. And now you actually have some positive things to write about. How refreshing, you know? Some positive columns because New York Stars may be turning around a little bit, Mike. Yeah, as, you know, as you know, this is a fun job anyway, but it's only more fun when you're writing about teams that people care about. People care about winning teams, so that makes the job even that much better. It almost makes you, it makes you guilty to actually call it a job, right? You ain't kidding. Mike, thanks for a few minutes. Appreciate it, all right? Anytime, JJ. Thank you. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. For your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Ton of fun there with our dude, Mike Vaccaro, who's as good as it gets. And could you imagine what this city will be like in October if we have the Yankees and the Mets 
playing deep into October where there is a legitimate possibility of a subway series. And it will feel, I think, drastically different to the subway series in 2000 where, yes, it was great. It was the first time we ever saw it in our lifetimes here in the World Series because I did not live through Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers. I did not live through the Yankees and the New York Giants. But 2000, the Yankees were dynasty. That was an unbeatable team, basically. They won four out of five championships. They were unstoppable. The Yankees getting back to that World Series, they were not going to be denied. This would be a time, and this would be a year where both of these teams would be far more on equal footing. And there'll be a whole lot on the line. I mean, just part of me hopes that it happens. Part of me is nervous beyond belief. So getting me those games in October, though, like imagine we got Met playoff games at four. Yankee playoff game at 7 or a Yankee playoff game at 5 and a Met playoff game at 8.30. Like, dude, that's... For the amount of shit that we've got to deal with watching these terrible football teams, we had a terrible basketball season. We've had a lot of bad years as a whole for New York sports. I mean, you want to talk about a renaissance, that would be a renaissance. Now, I didn't forget about the Met killers. I didn't forget about the Met killers. I gave you guys the top five Yankee killers. I'm giving you guys the top five Met killers. And I think this list is pretty diverse. It features a lot of household names. It features one name that I think is going to make you laugh a little bit. And he's definitely a name that lit up Twitter for sure. And I felt like it was a must, an absolute must for him to be on this list. But here we go. The top five Met killers. I'm starting with number five, Chase Utley. Obviously, the claim to fame for Utley is the slide in the 2016 Division Series at the end of his career when he was a Los Angeles Dodger. But let's not lose sight of the fact that Chase Utley ate the New York Mets lunch. He's a part of Philly teams that won the division. He was a part of comebacks when the Mets choked up leads in 2007 and 2008, respectively. So number five, I'm putting Utley on this list. And the reason Utley is going to be at five is because the numbers for a bunch of these other guys are just off the freaking charts and just are insane to think about. So number four, we're going with a guy of recent variety, a guy who knows the thing or two about big hit after big hit after big hit against the New York Mets, and that would be Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman for his career, 115 RBIs against the Mets, 28 home runs. A lot of them came in monster, monster situations. So we went with Freddie Freeman, who no longer plays in the National League East. And I think there are a whole lot of Mets fans thankful for the fact that he no longer plays in the National League East. Now, number three, this is the obscure name that we decided to go with. And it's a fun one. Maybe not for Mets fans, but it's a fun one for me. Because I remember this guy's career from start to finish. I remember when he was like this like conquering hero when I'd go down to Jersey Shore in Ocean City, New Jersey, and like you'd see these T-shirts all over the place. Number three on this list is Pat Burrell. Pat Burrell only hit 245 against the Mets. But he had 42 lifetime home runs. 42 lifetime home runs against the New York Mets. Owned them. Hit them left and right at the Old Chase Stadium. Pat the bat. Number three. A name that will forever live in Met infamy. Number two. And the only reason this guy is not number one is because he didn't play enough games against the Mets. It's the captain, Derek Jeter. Now, I know Mike Vaccaro made a compelling point that he'd be number one because of game four in 2000. The way it changed the entire vibe and momentum of that World Series. 
after the Mets got their first win. I mean, Jeter's numbers against the Mets are sick. He had 364. He had a 955 OPS. I mean, Jeter, who is not a home run hitter, 13 home runs and 360 at-bats against the Mets. Like, that's a lot of home runs for Derek Jeter. For Jeter, that's a whole lot of home runs. And stole bases and killed them. Hunter RBIs, absolute monster. Now, he's not getting a number one spot. The reason he's not getting a number one spot has to go to Chipper Jones. First of all, Chipper Jones decided to name his kid Shea. That's, that's, that's for starters. Number two, 49 homers and 159 RBIs and a 300-plus batting average and the fact that the Mets could never beat Chipper's teams ever, ever, ever. For me, it had to be Larry Jones. Larry Chipper Jones takes the number one spot. So Utley, Freeman, Pat Burrell, Derek Jeter, Chipper Jones, there's your top five. Met killers, at least in my lifetime. So sorry. Uh, Mike Scott didn't make the list. All right, voicemail time. 917-382-1151 is where we make magic. Get the voicemails in come Sunday. First half of the baseball season over and done with. Afternoon for the Yankees, afternoon for the Mets. Doing the podcast down the beach. Life will be good. All right, let's hear them. JJ, what's up? It's Scott from Red Bank, New Jersey. Just calling to tell you my top five Mets killers of our lifetime. I got to go with number one, Chipper Jones. It's pretty obvious. Number two, John Rocker. Guy killed the Mets in the 90s. Number three, Pat the Bat Burl. Number four, Chase Utley. Guy was a menace. Number five, guy killed the Mets and then really shot up the list here in that wild card game in Madison Bumgarner, shut out the Mets in that game that Connor Gillespie hit that home run. I was at that game. I know everybody in the area hated that game, but the guy shot up the list with that one game. But he also had great numbers against the Mets. I'm leaving out all those 2006 Cardinals that, that shut the Mets out when the Mets were great. We gotta get on the get get out on the golf course soon, but we'll talk soon. Enjoy the show tonight. Later, Scotty. Good call right out of the gate. Um, you had a bunch of names that I had on there. I would not put Rocker on there. I know Rocker was an irritant and he was a schmuck. The fans clearly didn't like John Rocker. It was only for like a year plus. To me, not enough of a sample size with Rocker. Same with Bumgarner. Bumgarner 2016, amazing. But like, I can't put Bumgarner on this list over Derek Jeter. And I can't put Bumgarner on this list over a guy like Freddie Freeman. Can't do it. Can't do it. But all in all, three or five, good amount of agreement there. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ, it's Pete in Westchester here. Um, hey, man, you know, I can deal with losing. Well, I guess, first of all, I should say we should have known it wasn't going to be this easy. You know, I could deal with losing two to the Boston Red Sox. It's going to happen. This is a rivalry. You're playing at Fenway Park. Things can happen. But you're going to come home and you're going to blow a lead to the Reds and then barely beat them in extra innings. No, we got one more tonight. But, you know, is it time to start getting a little worried? Is it, you know, Clay Holmes, since he's been named an all-star, you know, he got choked twice in a row. So at what point, where should the, the alarm level be? I mean, obviously, when you got such a big lead, you know, it's everything, every little issue is going to look like a nail to you. You know, you're going to want to, you're going to want to focus on it. Um, so, you know, but where is there, is there reason? Is this going to start spiraling? We're going to start, you know, the snowball down the hill. Is this, is this something to be concerned about? Which, so basically what's your level of concern on that? Uh, so that's one. Number two, really quick. 
was listening to um, a podcast by John Heyman and, and Joel Sherman, um, which is it's pretty good, I have to say. And they, they were interviewing Sandy Alderson. And they asked Sandy, I think uh, John asked them and said, hey, Sandy, you know, what's where's Jacob DeGrom at? You know, is he excited to come back and pitch, you know, this season? Basically, was the question. And, you know, Sandy, I thought, gave a pretty interesting answer. He was not really that emphatically saying that Jake couldn't wait to come back. And if I'm a Mets fan and I heard this answer, I'd be freaking freaking out, to be honest with you. So Sandy was kind of like, yeah, you know, Jake, you know, he's doing what he can to come back. You know, he's giving the typical spiel. But it was just something about the answer that it, it didn't sit right with me. And, you know, and I don't even care really about the Mets, how they do. But it, it was just like, this guy's great to watch. So it was a little weird. So I know how close you are with, you know, to, to the Mets through S&Y. So just curious if you have any 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 thoughts on that and, um, you know, how does Jake figure into this Mets season? All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Listen, the Mets need Jacob DeGrom. And there might be some bad blood there. I've heard some rumblings that there is some tension between the Mets and Jacob DeGrom. Like, that's not a secret. Like, that is well documented. It's been out there. DeGrom wants to get paid at the end of this year, even though he has not thrown a pitch in a game that counts in over a year. But I'm not worried about next year. This year, the Mets need Jacob DeGrom pitching at a high level if they're going to go and win a championship. So to me, if you're the Mets, you kind of almost in a way have to let bygones be bygones and hope that Jake can come back and do his thing. And it seems like he's on the road to recovery. Seems like he's going to be back over the next couple of weeks. And away we go. As far as the Yankees look, this is a terrible series against the Reds. They didn't play good baseball. They really haven't played good baseball for about a week or so. It happens. The Yankees need the all-star break. They got a big series coming up from a standpoint of you can embarrass the Red Sox that much more after their terrible week in Tampa. You could basically put them out of sight. I mean, they're out there anyway, 15 games out. But, you know, you don't even let them linger. Hey, the AL East is not getting four teams in the playoffs. Seattle is coming on. This division is going to beat up on one another. How about the Orioles and the job that Brandon Hyde has done they're a game over 500. Remarkable, remarkable stuff. I want to get after the Red Sox this weekend. I just don't know if the Yankees are in a good position to do so. They're not playing great. The pitching isn't exactly lined up. The Red Sox do have their pitching lined up. I hope I'm pleasantly surprised. Hope Montgomery sets a tone, and the Yankees never seem to hit a Valdi. So I'm not confident that they're going to hit a Valdi tomorrow. But they're better positioned to do so. And I'll deal with Carmen during the shortcomings in the outfield. Knowing I have his bat in the lineup, he has to be in the lineup tomorrow. Like, I'm going to be irate if Joey Gallo's name is in the lineup and Matt Carpenter's name is not. There's a problem there. Big problem there. All right, who's next? JJ Justin in Miami. I called earlier, but I think I got cut off. Look, on the Donovan Mitchell trade, I don't think it's a perfect fit, but, but I do feel like this is a move the Knicks sort of have to make. Now, they got to be smart about it. And you got to know who you're bidding against. Realistically, it looks like the Knicks and the Heat. And if you look at what the Heat have to trade, they don't have nearly the assets the Knicks do. They don't have access to their first-round picks. And frankly, a Heat first-round pick isn't as valuable as an unprotected Knicks pick because the Knicks, there's more, there's a bigger chance that they're going to, you know, they're going to crater and those picks are going to be high. So I am not willing to give up some absurd price, this is my second point, based on what the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert. I mean, just because they got four picks for Gobert when it should have been two doesn't mean I'm giving seven picks. So to me, the question is, you got 10 picks in seven years and you got young players. I'm certainly not doing a Carmelo here where I'm giving seven picks and four young players for a guy who's a, who's a borderline top 20 player, a guy who would help us, but not a guy who turns us into a contender. 
So if I'm the Knicks, really a couple things here. One, I want to trade, if I'm trading three or four or five picks, I want to stagger it so that at least in most years I still have a pick. The Knicks have a lot of picks. I know some are protected, some are not. But where they could at least keep some of these picks. Two, I'm, I'm more interested in trading my young guards because if I have Mitchell and Brunson, I don't know what type of playing time I'm going to have. And three, we know they got to take some salary back. Really, if you're the Knicks, i got to push Randall in this deal because – Julius Randle doesn't fit with Brunson and Mitchell. That's too much ball handling. And with a small backcourt of Brunson and Mitchell, I gotta keep Obi and I gotta keep Mitchell. To me, the Jazz are gonna want picks. They're not gonna want to be good. I'm willing to give them four or five, or frankly, maybe even a six pick if I can include Randle in it. And I'm willing to give them some of my young guards. That's gonna be way better than they're gonna do what anyone else can offer. And frankly, I'm not basing my offer on the Rudy Gobert trade. So talk to you later, bud. I think that's reasonable, Justin. And I think that's a logical way of looking at the negotiations if you're the Knicks. Danny Ainge is going to look to police Leon Rose. Danny Ainge has been doing this a long time. Danny Ainge has won his fair share of trades. Leon Rose is very inexperienced when it comes to this sort of stuff. He's coming from CAA. He's coming from the agency road. I agree. These picks are expendable. Not all of them. I want to stagger them if I can. In a perfect world, if I had a choice between Toppin and Quickly, I think my choice is to keep Toppin because of the fact that, yeah, you're going to have Donovan Mitchell. You've added Jalen Brunson. That is true. And I like Emmanuel Quickly. I think he's got a nice future in the NBA. The Knicks need to go and get a difference maker. But the biggest key to me is making this trade without giving up Barrett. And it sure seems like, at least from what I'm reading and at least from what I'm hearing, it's possible. So that's encouraging. Very encouraging. All right, who's next? Yeah, JJ, this is Jason from Waterbury, man. Listen, I love you. I'm a fan listener to you and all that, but the fact of the matter that you didn't put Ken, Ken Griffey Jr. and Manny Ramirez on that list is all beyond belief, bro. And you actually, you know, we can't stand all David Ortiz because he's he got elected into the Hall of Fame when guys like Ramirez and Sheffield and Clemens and Bonds in it, and you're putting that guy on the list, JJ. Like I said, I love you, but, uh, you know, Manny Ramirez and Griffey Jr. are the two biggest fucking Yankee killers there are, bro. So please, man, you got to fix that list. Ortiz should now no way in hell be on that list over all uh, Ramirez and Griffey Jr., bro. I love you. Take it easy. Let's go, Matt. Well, I love the fight. I love the give and take. Here's my issue with putting Griffey on the list. He didn't play in Seattle long enough to play in big games against the Yankees. 95 is the only postseason series he had. You can easily argue Manny Ramirez. I understand that. But I wanted to throw a non-superstar on the list. That's why I gave you Bill Miller. I wanted to put a pitcher on the list. If I was going to swap out Randy Johnson and I wanted to put on a hitter, it would have been Garrett Anderson or it would have been Manny Ramirez. And somebody brought up Garrett Anderson. That was one I had no problem with, and it was a great name. That was a great name to think about. The first three for me are pretty easy. Edgar's a bigger Yankee killer than Griffey. Altuve's a bigger Yankee killer than Griffey. And guess what? Uh, Ortiz, forget about the steroids. The guy had two walk-off hits, tormented the Yankees for over a decade plus. You know, Manny went a little quiet in a couple of those ALCSs. Killed the Yankees for a long time, no doubt. To the extent of Ortiz, I would say no. All right, good stuff with the voicemails. So I'm going down to Atlantic City this weekend, so I'm going to need a game to bet on or two. And we're going to throw in an SGP for Yankees, Red Sox, tomorrow at Yankee Stadium. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to mix it up. 
We're not taking a side. We're going to take a bunch of guys to get hits. How about this? Let's take Anthony Rizzo to get a hit. Let's take Matt Carpenter to get a hit. We're going to take Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez all to get hits in the game. So Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Anthony Rizzo, Matt Carpenter. And let's throw DJ LeMayu in there, too. Let's make it five for five. LeMayu, Rizzo, Carpenter, and then bang, bang, Bogarts and Martinez. That's our five-legger for Yankees and Red Sox. Check that out on FanDuel Sportsbook. I need more winners, though. You know what I wish I did? Kansas City missing half their team was like plus 375 today. It was still outrageously priced. Out of principle, I should have played the Royals, and I would have cashed. I was too gun-shy to do so, and you know what happens. You snooze, you lose. All right, Money, it's a Friday. We need some winners. Take it away. Up, JJ. Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks as we for tomorrow, Friday the 15th. I got three Major League Baseball games. Now, game number one, I like the Marlins. Now, I'm showing minus 130 over the Phillies. Now, as long as that line isn't like 145, 150, we're going to go with that. So we're going to go with the Marlins for the first game. Next game, I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners. going to go with the streak now. As of now, I don't know how they did it for Thursday action, but I still like them anyway. I like the Mariners over the Texas Rangers. And the final game, we're going to go with the streak. How can you not go with the Orioles? Won 10 in a row. We're going to go with the Orioles of the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, I know the Rays won already three in a row going into, you know, I don't know as far as going to Friday's action. But the uh, as far as the Tampa Bay Rays, they won 15 out of the last 16 at home the last three years and three times already this year. But we still got to go with the Orioles. They won 10 in a row. It's a good matchup for them. Got to take a shot. So, again, we're going to go with the Marlins. I'm going to go with the Mariners, who are also 10-game winning streak, maybe 11, as far as I know. We'll see what happens. And the Orioles are on a 10-game winning streak. Okay, J.J., everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Love you, Jeff Money. I can always get behind the Sandy Alcantara bet. He's the best pitcher in the National League. He's been absolutely insane this year. So I'm in on the Marlins. I'm a little worried about the Orioles. So I feel like the Orioles did a cool off this weekend. Tampa has found their group. They just won four straight against the Red Sox. Um, and I'm in on the Mariners. I think the Mariners are playing really good ball. They were sleepwalking a little bit throughout this game today. I saw they were losing. Texas was taking it to them. Oh, no. Seattle came back and won that game. They scored two in the seventh and three in the eighth. Yeah, I looked early. They were getting smoked. They were losing five to one. The Mariners got something cooking. The Mariners are going to make the playoffs. Remember I said that. And they're going to hit our over, too. So I can get behind a Mariner play. The only one I can't get behind is the Orioles. Now, the British this weekend, star-studded leaderboard. That course is running, man. That course is running. It is running. It is running. And if you're looking for somebody to get in on, if you missed the boat and you didn't bet anything, I'm keeping my eye on two guys here. Shoffley, who was a big favorite. He's at three under. He's five off the lead. Good investment category. The other guy I'm thinking long and hard about. And I don't know if you're going to get any value with him. I have not looked. Camp Smith, who I've been betting every single one of these majors. Been great. That is somebody I'm thinking long and hard about. So Cam Smith, Shoffley. Think about that over the course of the weekend. Playing the matchups, top five, top ten, and away you go. Great show. Jesse filled in for Stefani. Did a fabulous job. We're back Sunday after all the baseball. Enjoy the weekend. JJ out. Be good, everybody.